Day five, restore. As African people, we were not into extracting natural resources. Our focus has been really being in harmony with nature and not taking things that were not just for our basic needs. Day five, day five, day five. Can you believe it, Taproot Earth family? Welcome to day five of Climate on Tap, rituals of remembrance and restoration. Today, Taproot Earth's Anthony Giancaterino is talking with the dynamic Denise Fairchild, 2021 Climate Breakthrough Awardee. She's been working for environmental justice for 45 years, a true OG in the space. This conversation centers the necessity of intersectionality in our work, how labor and energy are interconnected and integral to the work for climate change and the power and possibility of a green economy. Denise's work at Emerald Cities Collaborative is a model for the work in action, and we're honored to work with her as a trusted colleague and friend. Passing the mic to Denise and Anthony. Well, hey, Denise, it's good to see you and hear your voice. I know it's been a minute, but thank you so much for for joining us on our Tabard Earth lunch. Well, thank you for uh, inviting me into the conversation and congratulations on Taproot's uh, launch and this very important work that you're doing. Before I get into the meat of the conversation around restoration and what that means, I would just love if you could share a little bit about how you actually came into the climate justice fights. So what your background was and how that led you to understand climate as a critical place for us to intervene. Yeah, thank you for that journey. Well, as you know, Anthony, I'm uh, seeing myself in the elder status of the movement. I've been around for a very long time, at least uh, 45 years working in economic justice, social justice, environmental and climate justice. And so it's been a, a progression. I find myself uh, taking on roles that I didn't even imagine, you know, when I was growing up about what I would be doing, but it really has always been rooted in community. It's always been rooted in addressing issues of uh, injustice. You know, today, a lot of our communities are addressing issues of gentrification. When I got started, it was really about divestment and our communities were lacking housing and we didn't have jobs and all the stores, you know, retail outlets had left and we had no banks. You know, we had all these predatory commercial outlets in our community. So we've been fighting, I have been fighting that for a very long time and and actually never really focused on environmental issues. And in fact, to be honest, fought against environmental issues because I thought it took away the issues of birds and whales and polar bears, took away from the jobs that we were fighting for, for for so long. So I was really a little antagonistic about the growth of the environmental movement uh, until I actually found myself in an environmental justice um, campaign. I am uh, from, or at least raised my family and lived in, and still live in South Los Angeles, and they were putting a municipal incinerator in our community, spitting distance from our uh, schools and, and from our homes and, and from our children. And it ended up being a two-year campaign to defeat that incinerator. And so that's when environmental justice hit me right in the face, and it was having to understand what, you know, what all of these toxic facilities were, were doing in, in our communities that, that really grew me into the environmental justice work. It was a point in time when I actually 
read an article, a book actually that brought my worlds together, that brought my economic justice focus together with my focus on, or my, at that time, anti-focus on the environment. And I, I saw that if we pushed public and private investments into cleaning up our communities, right, our, our super funds and our toxic buildings and all the other nuisance uses in our neighborhoods, our refineries that are that we're spitting distance from where we are, we can actually create jobs. We can create economic opportunities and be healthy and then well as it as improving the environment. So this merger of of economic justice, social justice and environmental justice came together for me probably back in 2003. But it wasn't until I started working for ML Cities in 2010 that I really became intentional about making that connection, about doing what some of us call intersectional work. And then climate, to be honest, climate, the issue of environmental justice preceded the focus on climate justice because the climate issue didn't really start coming into our awareness until another, maybe another two or three years uh, afterwards. And so it just recognized that all the things that we had been struggling for could be wrapped around this question of how we're extracting, how our economy is extracting uh, from our communities, how it's extracting from our labor, how it's extracting from our environments. And if we can fix climate and, and all that's going into destroying man, land, you know, your mother earth, that we could also address these other issues. So, you know, that's a sort of a short version of a, of a long journey that, that I've been on, but it's, it's been a very blessed and important journey. And well, I thank you for, for sharing that. I've been fortunate to join you for maybe the last 10 years of that journey. And I remember when I was working at the Center for Social Inclusion, we were starting to push the concept of energy democracy. And Maya at the time was like, we need to talk to Denise Fairchild at Emerald Cities. And I think I think the first time I met you was actually in a gathering in California, maybe at a an energy democracy summit in Oakland or in Oakland at like a small little space. It was Al. It was Al Reinwood. You were the first. <laughs> it was Al's. Right. It was Al Reinwood's conference, and your keynote was the first time I heard someone so deeply connect this idea of reclamation and kind of reconnecting and reimagining labor and energy systems together. And so I would love to kind of dive in with you a little bit more on that concept of like, we understand the extractive energy systems and extractive labor systems are at the root cause of so many of our issues right now. And you had a clear vision on like, if we address this, we can solve, we can solve these issues that took shape of energy democracy. So can you talk a little bit what it really means for us as communities to restore our relationship to labor and restore our relationship to the energy system? Sure. Thank you for that question. So if, if I remember correctly, that event, that conference, the local Clean Energy Alliance uh, had me talk about my perspective on energy and the way I framed it. And then mostly I'm, I'm a, a history buff and a history buff related to uh, my history, African-American black history. And I drew an analogy is that what, what we're trying to do is change an energy system that is not only, as I mentioned before, polluting our environment, but also destroying our health and undermining our communities and our economy. Being able to really dismantle the fossil fuel industry was also 
analogous to what it took to dismantle slavery. I think that was the, the focus of my conversation and understanding that as slaves, we were the, the pillars of industry at the time. We were the energy source for, for industry to you know, grow its cotton and to, and to be in its factories. I mean, we were replaced by fossil fuel. And it's a, it's a global economy. It's a global economy that really does not, again, honor nature, nor does it under, uh, honor labor as a way of in, in, in extracting cheap labor, using us for the profiteering of a few number of individuals for a monopoly industry. That's the, the framework. And or when we imagine, reimagine and restore the world that we want to have, we have to really sort of realign those relationships with energy, which means we realign our relationship to nature, finding indigenous and, and black cultural framing for how we saw ourselves in nature. It's not that as, as an African people, as, as myself, we were not into extracting earth, natural resources. Our focus has been really being in harmony with nature and not taking things that were not just for our basic needs, where energy was used for cooking and it was used to warm in our houses, uh, but it was not used for for what we call now discretionary energy, just uh, mass consumption and mass production and mass accumulation of wealth by by the few. So this this notion of restoring is like let's just restore our spirit and our soul and our our consciousness about the, the gifts of Mother Nature and how we respect it because it gives us so much. And how do we restore Mother Nature in a way that is going to honor her contribution and this interdependence that we have with Mother Nature? And so doing that really means also changing our economy, our industry work and changing labor in and of itself. And so the idea that uh, we are going to restore the dignity of, of nature is also about restoring the dignity of workers and, and labor and making certain that not only are we producing at a level of sufficiency and not over extracting and polluting the environment, but that we're also honoring our, our workers in, in this space, in this green economy. We're now talking not about a fossil fuel economy, but a green economy. So what is that economy? What is it? What, what are the jobs? And how do we make sure that the jobs are not toxic to workers? Like the you know coal industry has been toxic to workers and then creating a black lung disease and, and just really shortening the lives of people that work in, in these, these, these dirty industries. So make sure that that even though it's a green industry, that we also are going to care about the health of workers, but that we're also going to make sure that we are paid living decent wages, that we have time work balance, <laughs> that we are able to be with our families and to be in nature and the environment. And so there's a real, really wonderful opportunity that we have as we reimagine the world that we want to really align the relationships that we have with Mother Earth and the relationships that we, we have with, with labor. And I think that's, again, it's a bit of a challenge because the, you know, the old guard, the status quo is not going to give up its power without a fight, without a struggle. But the, the thing that keeps me going is imagining what the alternatives can be when we lock arms and work together as a community. We're in that moment right now, I think, as we're, we're seeing different policies kind of move through around what is what can be sacrificed for what gain. One of the things we got to work on together for a couple of years was the Energy Democracy Scorecard. 
I remember in that process, when we were building that out with a bunch of different community partners, there was a good challenge to make sure that we're talking about the reimagination of energy as spirit and soul, not just of like the energy system and how do we connect into the different levels of energy. And that's always stuck with me. So when we're thinking about that, like that allows us to reimagine and live in the future of what we want to see, which is great. And we're also really clear that right now we've got folks in Kentucky who've been overcoming the aftermath of a flood. We still have the the industry that does not want to concede its power, really kind of taking a lot of pressure on our communities and, and people trying to make change, really like pushing folks to the limit. We're in this politically divisive time period, which is really much longer than the last six years, but for the last six years have been very acute. What are your thoughts or what are your ideas for folks to start making those changes now? Like, how do we actually start making the vision that we all have for a more liberated, just society possible in a moment when people are feeling fractured, stretched, and frankly, tired? Yeah, that's that's the question. We are exhausted. It is exhaust. It could be exhausting work because the work has been about uh, fighting the bad, and and I think that we need to do that, right? But at the same time, and the work that we've been doing in retreat with a number of amazing thought leaders and activists here in, in California is is to figure out how we we build the new, right? Which is the sort of the model of just transition. And the the hope, you know, the, the the you know the poetry and the hope and the vision comes out of the work around building the new. We have to do this in a way that is first uh, building our communities and wherever we are, whatever community we have, we we need to have relationships. Well, first a, a very strong relationship with ourselves to know that we are worthy of a, a better life, that we're worthy of clean air and clean water and um, access to economic opportunities that are not that are not extractive. And then not only that we're worthy, but so are our neighbors. The restoration work really starts like we can fight the system, right? We can fight the man, but we need to more than anything put most of our energy in building our communities and and developing our own sense of, as we've been talking about here, well-being and understanding what well-being looks like and how do we get well-being and what does, especially in our community, well-being in our community, maybe we've got to clean up this, this dirty water or we got to clean up the, you know, this, this dirty air, or we need to find a way to get our kids in, you know, a good educational opportunity, but it happens at community. There's nothing that we can do at the system level that does not first start with ourselves and organizing and building our power and our relationships and building our own systems. You know, if the banking system is screwing up, let's create our own banking infrastructure, right? If the food system is failing us, let's let's create our own food systems. We've got the ingenuity, we have the the muscle memory from our ancestors about how the how to do this stuff. So building the alternative has always been my my orientation and particularly because there's so much cultural appropriation when black and brown folks and, and land-based and indigenous communities do something, it will be appropriated. We are the leaders in this, this movement for change. We are the leaders that's going to transform us into a new brave world that's going to be cleaner, better, healthier. So let's do it for ourselves. And then in the, in the process, I think we can see that ripple in the pot and, and see some shifts taking place at a, at a higher level. What do you say to the, the, the youth coming up? So community is one. When we are at a time where 
it's really hard to build community either because of technology and we're all on our phones and our tablets or because we're in a pandemic and social distancing is supposed to be the, the way to protect each other. Do you have recommendations for, for folks who didn't grow up like you or I, you know, pre-cell phone? <laughs> for, how, how do you build community? What are recommendations you have for folks to engage to be able to start that community process? Well, you know, I, I'm a, been in conversation with, I don't know if they're millennials. I think they're, what's after millennial, Gen, Gen Ys? Just this, these last couple of days. And let me tell you, they've got this, all right? Our young people are going to be the ones that will make the difference. They are engaged in the struggle using their technologies. We just learned something about um, was it W3 platform where the young people, it's, it's universal, it is not controlled, you can be as political as you want, they are building communities, they're having parties around this, you know, party with purpose, they're using art, they're using all forms of, of, of cultural expression to take their sort of their awareness and their knowledge uh, about how this world has not been in service of humanity, has not been in service of the environment. And they're, they're developing their own future. So I'm not sure that we got to tell them anything. I think they're in a position where they're teaching us how to come along in, in a new space. They're telling us where their spaces are. And they're telling us, if you, you guys can come into this. You can be a part of this. Just We don't even know that those spaces exist. And we need to find ways to you know, amplify and support those spaces that they're, that they're creating for themselves and to be in conversation with them on an intergenerational level to make sure that we're at least passing on, you know, not our struggles, but our knowledge about what the struggles are and our vision of what we have always wanted for them and for others. So young folks got this and, and my, that is my sense of, of hope for the future because of, of what I, I see happening in their, in their communities. You know, are there any particular practices that you would want to share or recommendations for folks around how do we actually practice restoration that you'd want to share out to the world as a, a good starting point? Well, I, I thank you for that question. I think um, we restore ourselves by reconnecting, reconnecting to nature first and foremost, and to begin to see nature not as something that is distant or apart from us, but that you know, that we are one with nature and that's biking, right? You know, walking, going out, fishing, being quiet, meditative is sort of what the restoration process requires is that uh, we are busy. We're busy people. We're constantly going to meetings and we're taking care of our kids and, you know, putting food on our table and, and being busy makes it very difficult for us to restore the essence of, of who we want to be. And I think COVID has shown us a little bit about what's well, made us go crazy in some re regards and has been detrimental to many of our communities. The notion of stopping and being with family and being in relationship with, with, um, with community has been sort of eye-opening. And, and this notion of the, the great quit, the great resignation, where people have, once they've stopped, they said, oh, my goodness. I can do this. You know, why Why am I on this, this this treadmill and just going faster and faster and faster? So be quiet, be still, be in the now, read a book, smell the roses. It's as simple as that. 
it is how do we you know recreate the the simple life for ourselves and for our communities where the notion of abundance and sufficiency you know replaces ideas of you know got to make money and got to you know be productive and all the things that the western cultural values that are undermining our, our society it's beautiful thank you denise thank you for taking the time today. I know speaking of busy people, you are one of the busiest folks, but I also do know that you take time to, to walk and hike and, and smell the roses, as you said. But thank you for joining us on this launch and look forward to many more years ahead working with you. And I look forward to working with Taproot and all of you guys, what you guys are doing. Thanks, Denise. And congratulations for continuing to be a global leader in this fight. What role in the Liberation Symphony are you playing? Will you be a connector like Anthony or a builder like Denise? What role will you play to restore the community and the natural world? As per Denise's invitation, get out and smell the roses. Tap into Restore by moving your body joyfully. Restoration is our birthright. Joy is our birthright. And connect with us at Taproot Earth on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook using the hashtag ClimateOnTap. We'd love it if you share Climate on Tap with your people. Send them this episode or invite them to sign up for the series. Mm-hmm.